The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness, where on every episode of the show, I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me today is my friend and colleague, Dr. Anthony Yoon. Dr. Yoon is somebody I've known for a while, but he's known as America's holistic plastic surgeon. He's a nationally recognized board-certified plastic surgeon who's recognized as a leader in his field, and he's the author of the best-selling books, The Age Fix, uh, A Leading Plastic Surgeon Reveals How to Really Look 10 Years Younger, and In Stitches, A Memoir. He's got a public television special, The Age Fix with Dr. Anthony Yoon, which has been viewed by millions, and he hosts the popular podcast, The Holistic Plastic Surgery Show. He's got a new book, guys. The new book is Playing God, The Evolution of a Modern Surgeon, and it details his humorous, heartwarming, and often harrowing journey to becoming a leading plastic surgeon. He's also, as if he didn't have enough to do, an assistant professor of surgery at Oakland University at William Beaumont School of Medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Yoon. It's so good to have you on. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Tess. Well, we've known each other for a while. We've traded lots of different advice, and I know you've written a few books, and we've gone back and forth about that. I don't think the audience may not know you nearly as well as I do. I want them to understand how you can possibly be a holistic plastic surgeon. How do you put those two concepts together? So a lot of this started, um, I really have, I've been in practice 15 years now, and I thought I had hit the pinnacle of success. And this was many years ago. And I had patients flying in from all over the country to have surgery from facelifts to tummy tucks to breast lifts and all this thing, all these operations. And I had this patient who on the surface you think was pretty straightforward. She came in, she was in her late fifties, early sixties and said, Hey, I, all my friends have had work done. I haven't. And I just feel like I'm not being seen anymore. You know, they are getting all this attention when we go out and nobody seems to be looking at me. And this is a story I hear from so many of my patients. And she said, you know, I'm thinking about having a facelift because I've got some jowls and this and that. So on the surface, everything looked like she'd be a good candidate. So a few months later, I ended up performing a very uncomplicated facelift on her. The surgery went very, very smoothly. And as I was leaving the hospital, driving back, I get a page from the nurse, 911, which as you and I know, you know, we've worked in the hospitals. That's yes. bad, bad yeah. news. So I quick call back and they say, your patient is bleeding. You need to come back now. And I know being a plastic surgeon that if you do a facelift and a patient starts bleeding, it literally goes from zero to a hundred in minutes. And the fear that we have is that they can bleed so much in their neck that they could literally suffocate from all that blood. So here I am, I, I floor my, my, um, I floor my, uh, uh, my car. I'm, I'm zipping back to the hospital as fast as I can get. I, I park there. I run up the stairs, run into her room, and I don't see my patient sitting there, but I see somebody resembling Jabba the Hutt. Her neck is so filled up with blood. And literally, I just throw some gloves on. I tear all of her stitches out, and I'm taking handfuls of blood out of her neck. Now, I rush her to surgery, and she ended up doing fine and looked great. Literally three weeks after surgery, she looked perfect as if nothing bad had happened. Um, but that was one of the first things that really struck me and said, look, you know, I do all this surgery and 
and I'm a doctor that's been trained as a cut first, you know, this, we have this saying, and you've been in general surgery to cut is to cure, right? You know, the only way to heal is with cold steel. You guys are good at that. (laughs) Exactly. And it caused me to really rethink, am I really doing the right things for my patients? And I spent a lot of time learning from doctors like yourself. We're advocating a whole other way of living. And that's what I've really, over the last several years, been trying to encourage my patients and my followers. Well, I think that's amazing. And I think so many people, I get asked this question, by the way, all the time, like, you know, there's guilt about having work done when you live a holistic and a natural lifestyle. Uh, But there's also the understanding that at some point you start to not like the way you look in the mirror or you start to really worry about uh, your appearance or how it's being perceived in the outside world, especially when women as young as like 20 and 21 are now going and getting so many different things done. So it's sort of changed almost. I feel like what I'm noticing is changing our eye. It's changing kind of what we perceive as beautiful, what we perceive as normal, you know, what we perceive as healthy aging. And so, you know, someone who's on this path and you're probably quite honestly, I'm in your demo. You're talking to me, somebody who's on this path of, of living a holistic lifestyle, living this thought of wellness, who is very sort of procedure adverse, you know, how do they reconcile these two concepts, like having plastic surgery, but also wanting to be natural and to be holistic and to do everything organic and, and really represent their core values. How do we reconcile that? Well, there's a number of things. I mean, I think the first thing that I always teach my patients and my followers is that the first thing you need to do is be healthy because, you know, being healthy is being beautiful. And so eating the right food, doing the things that you recommend, eating the right foods, you know, exercising, uh, limiting your environmental exposures, taking good care of your skin with clean skincare. There's so much that you can do now short of surgery. Even even nowadays, we have so many non-invasive and minimally invasive options Uh, that you can, that surgery really is a last resort and should be used as a last resort. It's not necessarily that case. And if you're on social media and you see other plastic surgeons and cosmetic docs, you know, glamorizing these operations and yeah, you should come and do it. It's so easy. And look at how amazing everybody looks. Um, That's our society, unfortunately, today. But I do think that if you take a surgery as last resort approach, then it can be very reasonable. And you and I both know so many influencers and leaders in the holistic health space who get Botox, Mm -hmm. who have, you know, who've undergone surgery and they don't necessarily reveal it to their followers, but you and I, we could see it. We know. We We know. Yes, absolutely. It's so hard. And I think I get asked this actually in the patient room all the time, like, is it okay to do Botox? Is it okay to do this stuff? You know, uh, I think what people like me and even my probably listeners and viewers want is we want a checklist. Like, where do we begin? And like you said, and I tell them this too, is it starts internally, right? You can do all the external stuff in the world, but if you don't handle the internal stuff, then, you know, you're only going to get so far, just like with health in general, if you don't treat the root, you're only going to get so far. So I, I would say, and I think you would agree knowing you that it starts with food, food is medicine, food is beauty. So it starts with food, it starts with exercise, it starts with your mindset. Like I think if you're happy and you know how to manage stress and you don't hold stress, you know, it's funny to me, even looking at my face, like for so long I had deeper lines through here, but doing yoga 
and being a little bit happier and being a little bit more stress-free, I'm even seeing those start to reverse and kind of go away a little bit. So, so it's, you know, so those are some of the basics, I think, where would you take it from there? Like once somebody truly masters some of those ideas, what would you do next for somebody who's concerned about their appearance, maybe wants to do some different things? What is probably the most natural way for them to go about it? So the next step is to be very mindful of what you put on your skin. So I have something that I recommend. It's called a two minutes, five years younger skincare routine. And you don't, you know, we have products that we sell for it, but you can do it with really any good, clean skincare. One of the issues that we are dealing with uh, as plastic surgeons, dermatologists, is that there are so many chemicals in our skincare nowadays. The United States has banned somewhere like 11 or 12 chemicals to be, that, that are dangerous chemicals that are put into skincare. Whereas if you go to, the, to Europe, there are thousands of chemicals that they don't allow in skincare. So the first thing is to definitely use clean skincare. The two minutes, five years younger routine, I call it that because we actually tested people. And we said, look, if you do two minutes a day of this skincare after two months, how much younger do you look? And we found people looked upwards of five years younger and it's oh, pretty wow. simple. Mm-hmm. So in the morning, get, get a cleanser that's appropriate for your skin type. So very simple. If you've got real dry skin, go for a milky cleanser. If you've got real oily skin, go for more of a foaming cleanser. So cleanse in the morning, then apply an antioxidant serum. So vitamin Mm -hmm. C is the most common antioxidant. Ideally, if you can find one that combines vitamin C with vitamin E, then they actually are shown to create a synergistic effect with each other. So if you can get vitamin C, that's great. If you can get a combo vitamin C and E, even better. Mm. And then apply good sunscreen uh, to to your skin afterwards, ideally an SPF 30 or more. Uh, try to avoid oxybenzone and octanoxate, which hmm. are known as hormone disruptors. That's all you got to do in the morning. Cleanse, uh, antioxidant serum, and uh, apply good sunscreen. At night, super important, you got to cleanse your skin because you got to get rid of that day's worth right. of grime and dirt and oil and the buildup. Then after that, apply a good anti-aging cream. The one that I recommend people start with is a retinol, uh, retinol. They're basically a form of vitamin A. Uh, tretinoin or Retin-A is, is uh, most well-known, but that's prescription strength. That's very strong, and you have to get it from a doctor. But most skincare lines offer a retinol option, which is an over-the-counter strength. Uh, ideally, if you can find one that has natural and organic ingredients, we have my line called Yoon Beauty that's made you know, with natural and organic ingredients um, that has a retinol moisturizer. And then If you want to apply a moisturizer on top of that retinol, go ahead. If you've got fairly oily skin, then you don't probably even need anything on top of it. And that's it. And then ideally, two or three times a week, try to exfoliate your skin. You can do that using uh, an exfoliating scrub, like a sugar type scrub. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do it with an at-home chemical peel. Um, You can literally mix one at home using different uh, juices, like apple juice and things. Or you can use like a Clarisonic type rotating brush device that can also help to uh, exfoliate your skin. So if you just do that, you're going to be way ahead of most people. And that's, that's really all you technically need to do. That's not hard, guys. We can do that. And he said two minutes, five years younger. And we all have two minutes. I don't care how busy you are. Everyone's got two minutes. And so that sounds... No, it won't make you look five years younger, Taz, because you already look so young. Like you end up oh like gosh. a teenager. No. But for those people You're sweet. Who, You're sweet. who haven't taken as good care of their skin, you really can see changes. You, know, you just stick with it. You do that in the morning, the evening, and it works. 
Well, I mean, all of those ingredients, I'm sure many of you that are watching or listening today have already heard about, but it's, again, how you put them together, how you sequence them that we all get lost with because there's just so much information out there. You mentioned your beauty products. Talk to us for about those for just a second. What is Yoon Beauty? Tell me a little bit about I didn't realize you had a, I didn't realize you had a beauty brand. So proud of you. Tell me about that. <laughs> so I found that there, as I got more and more into the holistic space, I found that there is a big gap because as a plastic surgeon, I basically was trained and I have been taught to sell different types of medical grade products. Mm -hmm. But the problem with these products, you know, they work, but they've, they are filled with chemicals. And when you look at them, a lot of them have parabens and phthalates and, you know, hormone disrupting ingredients. And so they work, but they're not necessarily good to put on your skin. And then on the other side, there are these natural products that, you know, that I've looked at, uh, made with great oils and, you know, nothing dangerous in it, but they don't necessarily have much that would actually reverse your aging. And so that's what I, I ended up doing is trying to create this line where it's natural and organic ingredients, but with real anti-aging components like kojic acid, like retinol, like vitamin C and vitamin E, and trying to put that to, to try to fill in that gap. Mm -hmm. So natural and organic ingredients, but this stuff actually works to turn back aging. That's amazing. And you're able to preserve it and do all that other stuff that the other brands say they can't do. And that's why they have to use all those ingredients. Yeah. And everything it's, you know, it's very, it's interesting because I, there are so many out there that are completely natural. You do have to have, you have to have some type of a processing of it, because if you want to have that cream that you apply in your skin, that that absorbs into your skin, that feels nice. Unfortunately, a lot of the oils, like just putting olive oil on your skin, isn't necessarily going to do that. Right. Okay. So, so that's, that's where, if you see the best brands, I've got a lot of colleagues of mine um, who have products that are natural and organic that are skincare, but they feel good on your skin. You know, it's not unfortunately as simple as putting three different oils together and then say, Hey, put this on your skin. Right. You know, there, there has to be some type of production of it, unfortunately. Interesting. So, you know, skincare is one thing, but I know another big piece for many women and many patients that I meet is weight gain, you know, and maybe they've had a few children, maybe, you know, they've had an illness or surgery that's left them inactive, or for whatever reason, they've got areas of unwanted fat that they want to remove. What's new out there? What's like the best way to get rid of unwanted fat? And even when it comes to facial procedures, what's probably the gentlest what, what do you approve? What's you approved in terms of what's gentle and what is not so harsh and toxic to the body? Yeah. So if, you know, one of the big things that we deal with as we get older are spots, pigment, uh, age spots, sunspots, liver spots, all different words for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing that I think that is very good and it's quite inexpensive compared to a lot of other cosmetic treatments is IPL or intense mm-hmm. pulse light. Do you have that at your, at no, your office? Not, not yet. Okay. No. So, mm-hmm. Okay, so IPL basically it uses intense pulse light. It's like a laser mm-hmm. and it targets that pigment. And so it does usually take anywhere from four to five treatments. The treatments are painless. It turns the dark spots darker. And then usually within about a week, those spots tend to slough off. So it's a really nice, fairly you know, inexpensive way to really clear the skin. Because once you get the spots, you can't really get rid of them. Now there are creams, brightening creams that can help very slowly mm-hmm. to get rid of those. Um, unless you're using something prescription strength, it takes a very, very long time. 
So the IPL is a really nice option. Uh, when you're looking at uh, reduction of fat, mm -hmm. okay, there's so many of us who take great care of ourselves and we're at good body weights and yet we've got these stubborn areas of fat that our parents right. have given us. Yes. Whether it's a double chin that your mom or dad had, whether it's saddlebags or any of these other funny names for different things, there are the one of the big things in plastic surgery now is getting rid of fat non-invasively. There are two very popular ones out there. They both work very similarly. Cool sculpting is one where you actually freeze the fat, and uh, and it's interesting because the skin is very durable, but the fat underneath it is not. And so it utilizes this knowledge that you can freeze the fat, crystallize those fat cells, and that kills the fat cells. But because the skin is more durable, the skin is fine afterwards. Um, the other option is sculpture. Sculpture is a laser that heats up the fat to a certain temperature to cause the fat cells to die. And with these treatments, usually do about two treatments, you can reduce the fat thickness by about 24% after these two treatments, completely non-invasive. Interesting. And the newest thing out there now, which is mm -hmm. really interesting, and for some of your moms, I know you have a lot of moms that follow yes. you. Yes, yeah. Um, it's a very interesting thing, it's called M-Sculpt. And M-Sculpt, you know, so we have figured out how to get rid of fat non-invasively, but the next step is how can you build muscle mm. non-invasively? And so I get so many women who come to see me and they say, look, I've had three children, I'm thinking about a tummy tuck and I look at him and say, well, there is a little extra skin here. You've got some separation of your muscles, a diastasis, mm -hmm. but there's yeah. not enough to really warrant doing a tummy tuck. A tummy tuck is a big operation. Right. So the M, M sculpt basically utilizes electromagnetic energy to stimulate muscle contractions 20,000 times over a half hour session. Wow. And it's four sessions over two weeks. And the interesting thing, so you think, okay, so it builds up muscle, it reduces a diastasis, but I didn't pick it up for a while because I thought, you know what, I work out and you work out, Taz, and we know if right. we work out that, yeah, we feel a little pumped and then a few days right. later it goes away. Right. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about this is that they did these four treatments and then six months and even 12 months later, even if they didn't do any further treatments and they didn't change your activity, those results seemed to stay. And what they would find is a 15% increase in the muscle thickness, a 19% reduction in the fat thickness, and an 11% reduction in a diastasis, in the width of a diastasis. And the diastasis wow. is that separation of the muscles right. that can occur often after having children. So it's really exciting. It's not like lipo. It's not this cra crazy, you know, right. awesome before and after. But for some people who really don't want to go into the knife, don't want those risks, those there's a really interesting option. That's, that's amazing. The IPL that you mentioned for facial rejuvenation, does that help wrinkles? Like if someone's scared of doing Botox or, you know, all the different mildly. injectables? Mildly. So, yes, mildly. It's not great for wrinkles. It really is better for overall color, but okay. it can help with the texture of skin and very fine lines as well. Gotcha. And I know in our uh, center, we do a lot of microneedling. That's kind of the option. A lot yes. of the Botox, uh, the, the folks that are trying to avoid Botox, microneedling and like a little bit of dermaplaning. Those are kind of the two big, the two big things that they use the most frequently and do see some results the, with that. What's your experience with microneedling? The thing that you, yeah, we do a lot of microneedling, but the thing you want to consider adding is we call it the gold Filtox facial. Mm -hmm. And what that basically is, is it's microneedling. But so microneedling for those of you who are listening, basically is uh, if you've ever watched some of these old commercials that where you have these little rollers that you roll on your skin, they're tiny, tiny little needles and create these little punctures. And the idea is that if you create a controlled trauma 
to the collagen of your skin, this collagen will actually rejuvenate itself and it works. Well, microneedling in an office, you go much more aggressive with it. Right. But the gold Filtox facial utilizes something called the aqua gold needles. And these are hollow needles. And then what we do is we create our own, it's our own proprietary combination of Botox, hyaluronic acid filler, and growth factors. And what you actually do then is you microneedle the skin and you inject very superficially this cocktail of substances. And what you find is that you get some some plumping up of the skin from the filler and that filler Mm -hmm. can last upwards of a year. The Botox reduces sweating and it also reduces pore size. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the growth factors, as you know, just help to rejuvenate the skin, except it definitely gets deeper in there than you would get with traditional microneedling. And this is something we've been doing for the past several months in our office. And people have been really excited about it. It's been actually our top cosmetic procedure ever since we debuted it, like I think six months ago. You're kidding. Oh my gosh. That sounds amazing for any of you who are out there listening and they, you don't want injectables. This is sort of a, a little bit of a way around that. And you're seeing good results with that. Yeah. They get an immediate change because that filler is injected very superficially into right. the, into the uh, superficial skin. It actually started the, a lot of people in Europe are doing it. And the interesting thing is it's all um, off label. Yeah. Uh, so there, the companies don't have their own concoction for you. Um, so all doctors around the country are doing their own kind of version of it. Ah, um, and so for us, we tested many different combinations and found the one that we liked. Uh, but it's a really interesting thing. You get immediate result, and then the Botox will kick in after about a week. Um, and I have talked to some of my plastic surgeon colleagues out in LA, and they say a lot of the celebrities are doing it before the red carpet because then their face doesn't sweat. <laughs> Right. under the lights because wow. they've got the Botox there. But for those people who are afraid of needles and Botox injected, it's like, it's very, very superficial. It's a whole other type of a treatment. Amazing. It's always amazing to see what comes out next when it, ta- when it comes to uh, prevention and aging and all this other great stuff. Well, this is all fascinating information, but I don't want to get away from the fact that you've written another book and I want to talk about that a little bit. So talk to us about playing God and what sort of inspired that book and what your hope was for that. So the title playing God is one that um, has been a little controversial because I think some people looking at like, Oh, you know, who does he think he is? He thinks he's playing God. And it really, it comes from, and that's not the case. It's the opposite, but it comes from the story I have of this um, woman who came to see me. She had had lost some weight, had a tummy tuck done by another doctor and everything fell apart. She developed flesh-eating bacteria. She had a horrible infection and had tissue that died on her tummy. It was just a huge mess. She comes into my office. She's in her 60s and she has a cane, can barely walk and says, Dr. Hume, I've seen 15 other doctors and every plastic surgeon has turned me down. You're my last hope. Will you please help me? So I said, well, what happened? And she said, you know, I had this surgery. Everything fell apart. And she said, my life is over. My husband won't look at me. Mm. And the one thing that I want to do, my one joy in life is to play with my granddaughter and I can't play with her anymore because I'm in so much pain. So I took a look at her tummy and it was basically this scarred and mess with skin grafts and scar tissue. And, um, and so, and she had pretty much every medical medical issue that you could think of. She was diabetic. She was on blood thinners because she had stent placements. She had had heart attacks and um, just all this stuff. And it can't, and she looked at me and she said, will you please help me? You're my last hope. And you look at this patient, you say everything inside you says, don't operate on her. You know, she could die on the operating table. And it's going to be all your fault, you know, turn her down. 
but I had this feeling that I was being told that I needed to help her Mm. and I had this peace with it. So I said, look, you know, no guarantees, you know, you could die. Are you sure you want to do this? And she said, yes, because my life is basically over. So I bring her to surgery a few months later, before I bring her to surgery, um, the night before I'm lying wide awake and I pray to God to help me to help this woman, because I know that she was just a complication waiting to happen and not like a minor complication, but like death type complication. And her surgery goes absolutely perfectly. And I literally, as I'm doing her operation, I'm almost feeling like my hands are being guided. And she comes back to see me three weeks later, walking without a cane, huge smile on her face wow. with a carrot cake that she baked for me. And she, she I, you know, you get, I'm sure you get gifts from your patients because you, you're so amazing with how you help them. And she brought me this cake and I have this rule not to eat food made by my patients because I have no idea what their kitchen's right, like. Right. So, she, so, so her insurance, of course, rejects the surgery, says it's co- cosmetic. And she says, look, Dr. Yoon, I don't have any money to pay you, but I made you this cake. Will you please take it as payment? And I said, well, of course I will. And I said, well, how are you doing? And she said, Dr. Yoon, and she starts crying. And she said, for the first time yesterday, I played with my granddaughter for the first time in a year. Mm. And then she said, Dr. Yoon, why did you do it? And I said, well, do what? And she said, why did you take a risk on me when nobody else would? And I said, you know what? I just, I felt like it was the right thing to do. I felt like there was somebody looking over us and that I knew that everything was going to be fine. And this one, she told me, she said, you know, other people, other doctors, they act like they're God. They think they're playing God and not you. Why is that? And I said, well, I'm not God. I don't play God. I need God to help me help people like you. And that was the whole idea of this, the title playing God and the evolution of a modern surgeon is that today's doctors are different than the doctors of yesterday. They're people like you and me, you know, we're not there telling our patients, you must do this, you must do that and dismissing their concerns and, and their education, all that we're partnering with them to do the best we can. And part of the partnering with them is partnering sometimes with this higher power too that may help us along the way. And so, and that's what the book is, is that the journey of how does somebody go through the old fashioned to cut is to cure mentality of training to become a new modern holistic surgeon. Oh my gosh, what a powerful story and what a powerful thought. I mean, I think I'm right there with you and it probably goes without saying where I feel like I'm a servant. I'm not necessarily, you know, a power figure or an authority figure. I'm here to serve. And I rely on God, angels, everyone to help me, you know, to do that in the right way and with the right, you know, frame of reference, so to speak, because it's such a gift to be a doctor. You know, it's, it's it's such a drain and it's such a journey, but, you know, even watching my children as they watch me, you know, cause mine are now 10 and 11. And so they have the understanding of, of kind of what's going on, but, you know, to see them just like, I can't do this mom. There's no way I could ever do this. This is so difficult. You know, for some of us, it's a calling and the motivation and the passion comes from within and it's not possible for us to be this patriarchal figure of you do this, or I'm going to, you know, the finger wagging, like you have to do this and you have to do that. It's very much a relationship and it's a collaboration. And I think that sentiment is true for many doctors like me who have medical homes or primary care offices or things like that. It's very rare for a surgeon. You know, some of my best friends are surgeons and 
the ones that are like you get burnt out, quite honestly, by the system and by the mentality and are ready to quit. The ones that have numbed themselves to this, you know, are just waiting to get out. Do you think surgery will change? Do you think that culture, that mentality will change? How much of is it of it is tied to our medical system and the culture of the hospital? You know, what would you tell the person out there who's just listening and and thinking about becoming a doctor or telling their children to become a doctor or has maybe an adversarial relationship with their doctor? What would you tell them? Well, I think that if you have an adversarial relationship with your doctor, if your doctor isn't listening to what you believe and what you think is going on, then the answer is to find another doctor. I do think that it's changing. You know, when when I went through training, I heard stories, and luckily I wasn't one of them, uh, but the stories of abuse of the residents and the medical students, I mean, it was all over the place. I mean, I heard it all the time. And luckily, right. it wasn't something that I was, I didn't have a lot of that. I had, I had a little bit of it, but it wasn't nearly to the extent of some of the things that I heard. Well, I know where I work at now, the hospital I work at, that would never be okay. It would never right. be tolerated. And, you know, surgeons like myself and, you know, doctors in our generation, I think in general are more aware that, you know, just like you said, we're servants, you know, we're not, we don't know everything. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned as I've, you know, practiced and that whole idea of going towards holistic plastic surgery is it took me a while to figure out that I don't know anything. I know mm -hmm. very little mm -hmm. and I can learn so much from doctors like you and other doctors that are that know so much that more than me about nutrition and about all this stuff that we don't learn in medical school. Right. That our patients a lot of times know more than we do I because know. they spend hours learning this stuff. Yeah. I, I always say, you know, I'm 10 years into my integrative functional practice, you know, 20 years into being a physician, I still learn every day. There is not a day that I walk into that place and someone doesn't teach me something or I'm forced to learn something. So it's just, to me, that's why it's just such a gift, you know, and I really hope that as future generations enter the profession, that will continue to be the case and the norm. Uh, surgery, hospitals, talk to us about what's happening there. What's the secret about hospitals that you think every patient should know? Um, I think this, <laughs> this is Curious. Kind of a funny one, but so there is a study. Okay. And luckily right now we have passed that month, but July is not the best month to go to the hospital. <laughs> yes. No, it's The university not. hospital. Yeah. Okay. I should say mm -hmm. a regular hospital without residents and interns, probably fine. Um, but this is a question I get asked all the time is, you know, what is, what is, what's the deal with this July effect? And there actually was a study many years ago that looked at um, university hospitals. And interestingly enough, the rate of the, the chances that you may develop a complication is higher at university hospitals in July because that's the year that the new residents come in. And a big part of my book of Playing God uh, deals with residency and internship and Honestly, part of it is just how clueless I was yeah. as a new doctor, how little I truly knew. And thank God, honestly, thank God I had nurses there who were veteran nurses who were yes. watching over me because mm -hmm. there was as a story in my book where there was a patient who literally would have died. I was at a code and I had no idea what to do. And I literally, the patient was in ventricular fibrillation where you and I know this is, a, this is the heart rhythm that precedes death. And you basically need to shock the heart to, to basically restart the rhythm again. And I put the paddles on the patient's chest. I yelled, clear. And luckily, the nurse yelled, stop, move my hands in the right position. 
and then stepped back and said, okay, go ahead. Oh my God. I would have shocked this it. poor patient's liver yeah. had it not been oh, for no. a great nurse. Oh no. Oh, so, I, I have so many stories too. I remember like putting an x-ray up and this nurse comes over. She's like, it's the wrong way. Turn it the other way. I'm like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. But man, you know, what great people, like, you know, what a great community in the hospital. What a great sense of teamwork and collaboration to get young doctors trained and also to take care of patients. I mean, some of those people there are just amazing. Yeah. And I think that the nurses and the other support staff don't get anywhere near the props no. that they should. You know, we as physicians, really, we get all the credit. You know, you see like this, you know, big operation goes down and, and, uh, you know, somebody gets a face transplant or this and that, and it's always the doctors that get all the mm -hmm. credit, but oh my gosh, there's so many people behind the physicians, behind the, the PAs, the nurses, the scrub techs. And I mean, there's so many people that we couldn't do our jobs if it wasn't for them. And I'm sure you, you know, in your office, it's like, there's Absolutely. so many people that help your patients in ways that you just can't, you know? Well, I mean, and, our, like, you know, our practice has grown so much, but it's because it's a team. It's because everybody there, you know, tries to live the standards, the language, and it's, I'm just so proud of them, you know? And sometimes people can look at the practice and think it's all, it's all about Dr. Taz, but it's, it's really not, it's the team and the team kind of makes us. And that's what I saw in my days working in the emergency room, that's what I saw in my days in other offices. It's really a team, that collaborative mindset that's really going to change medicine and make medicine really work for the future. What's your hope with the book, Playing God? What are you, what are you hoping will happen there? Yeah, you know, this is interesting because my last book, The Age Fix, was all about helping people to right. look their best and to, you know, not make mistakes with plastic surgery and stuff. And this one, honestly, is... I put it out there because I just hope it touches people. And I've had so many people reach out to me and say that they were up at two in the morning reading it. And it's, it's unexpected, I think is what it is. You know, I've read a lot of doctor books and this is not that type of book. Uh, it's a book that's, it's really a lot of ups and downs. It's funny. I've had people tell me that they've, that they're laughing during it. And there are times that are really touching and there are times that are, you know, it's like, it's life. And yeah. during life you laugh, you cry, there are victories and there are times I failed patients. Mm -hmm. And I think that it really, what it does, it gives anybody who's interested in the practice of medicine, becoming a doctor, what it's like to be a doctor. It really gives them this, this honest inside look at somebody who went through it and is striving to be the best person and sometimes fails, yeah. you know, and that's, that's part of, you know, we learn more from our mistakes and from our successes and, and it's that whole journey. So I, what I hope is that people, read it, they're touched by it, and they get a new understanding of what it's like. Um, yeah, because it's a, it's a journey that we all take. And you and I know, Taz, there's a handful of patients throughout our careers. You know, we treat thousands of people, yeah. yet there's this handful of people that we always will remember because they've touched us in some way. And these are a lot of those stories. Amazing. What an amazing book. What amazing ideas. I'm just so proud to know you, honestly. I mean that from the oh, bottom of my guys. heart. I think you're amazing. Same and I here. think the work you're doing is, is so important and so critical. For everybody else who's been watching and listening today, if you want to connect with Dr. Yoon, what's the best way to do that? How can they reach you? Yeah, my website is dryoon.com, D-R-Y-O-U-N.com. And uh, we do have a free gift. It's a book called What to Eat to Look Younger. Um, and we have another one also that we give out for free. That's 10 things every plastic surgery patient must know. So if anybody's interested in any type of cosmetic procedure, it's a, it's a nice way to kind of get a free little ebook that uh, you can learn a few things. And then obviously the book is available on Amazon and where books are sold. 
Fantastic. And I know you guys don't everybody go out there and book their tickets all on the same day to come to his office. Try to space it out a little bit. (laughs) I hope you're ready for the influx. But thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode of Superwoman Wellness, which, by the way, is on Spotify as well. If you enjoyed the episode, remember to rate and review it and share it with your friends. I will see you guys next time.